Hey, Zandra, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm really excited about this interview and about uh, sort of learning about your background, about the work you're doing with the OC uh, Angels. And I see the background, which is beautiful. Um, and we're going to get into a lot of sort of nitty gritty and your seven point uh, technique and all those things. But let's start out with your background first, because uh, uh, you have a really interesting background. You had a corporate sort of a national accounts and you know that kind of a background, and then you went into the entrepreneurial space. So let's start with that. Tell, tell me a little bit about how you sort of got started. Well, well, I'm happy to be here, number one. And you know, it's funny when I look back at my experience, my corporate, my professional experience, how that really serves me as a startup investor. It's just, it's, it's, it, I couldn't have planned it any better. And, and mind you, when I started out in corporate America, I didn't know what venture capital was or angel investing. I didn't know any of that. So um, I started at Toshiba America here in Irvine and uh, worked my way through the purchasing department there, became worldwide commodity manager and led a team. So this is a late 80s. I led a team uh, of of engineers from Japan, they wanted Toshiba America wanted to be able to take advantage of tax breaks that the U.S. government at the time was offering if you had 51% domestic content. So, being a 23-year-old young young professional, not really knowing what I was doing because I was kind of thrust into this position, but taking these teams and number one, garnering their trust. They spoke little English. They were engineers. They came to the U.S. to do a job to find the vendor base here, and here they are working with this 23-year-old. A young woman and they don't understand her so I had to really and I did that it's another story from the other day I really garnered their trust and then I took these teams all around the United States looking at the different manufacturing bases we basically had to do an M&A um, workup on each company that we were thinking of sourcing some some componentry from because we didn't want to be their sole you know customer because if, if we did go away we didn't want them to go under but they also had to be able to scale with the volume that we were bringing to the US so I really cut my teeth on you know basically looking at a company from the ground up do you own your building are you leasing equipment uh, what's your capital outlay before our business and that and those those principles really play into a lot of the startups that I invest in so I started at Toshiba um, and then I, I ended my career at Ingram Micro. In between, then I worked at startups up in the Silicon Valley, where they actually gave you stock options and signing bonuses, which was very exciting. And then um, I ended my career at um, Ingram Micro, which is here in Orange County. They are the largest distributor. Back then, they were the largest distributor of hardware and software in the world, the, the middleman, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I managed their largest account at the time, and this is like mid-late late 90s, a $200 million account called OnPoint. I was the account manager for that, so managed a team of people within Ingram Micro to support their needs. And um, that, I learned a lot there, too. It's more of the cost of doing business. Every time we brought on a product line or software, there was cost of people touching it, moving it through logistics, through our ecosystem that we had to model into the price of each unit that we sold to that customer. And that I learned a lot. I learned like lifting the lid on really what's the true cost of doing business when you bring on a product line for existing customer. And we did what we're called modeling. So I had this one engineer or this one analyst that would just like, I, I kept him so busy. I'm like, you need to model this line. You need to model that line. We're modeling, we're modeling, we're modeling because things we, we were adding lines, we we're taking lines away. So that whole body of experience, really served me when I started becoming an angel investor. So in 1998, I retired from Ingram Micro to raise my children. 
In 2008, I started managing our assets, small family office here. We're invested in real estate, private equity, dividend paying, paying stock portfolios, mortgage bonds, you name it. The thing, if I understand it, we invest in it. Makes us nice. great money. <laughs> so, um, but that segued into, you know, we had disposable income. Should we buy another boat? Should we buy a fourth, fifth, sixth home, another apartment building, you know, uh, jewelry, whatever. Right. And one of my friends, one of my colleagues here, she worked for um, a, a lot of large multinational banks in private equity. And our kids went to school together. And she goes, Sandra, you should become an angel investor. And I'm like, what is that? And I didn't realize, I didn't, I didn't really realize that I, number one, I worked for a startup in the nineties at in Silicon Valley. It was called K-Lock and it, we made the first removable disk drive. If you could believe it back oh, in wow. those days, you can't remove a disk drive. It has to stay in the computer. Right. Okay. <laughs> why would you want to remove it? It's very delicate. You can't move it. It's like, no, right. we made it. It was great. And it was a full startup. I mean, truly was. I did a work for hacks. And then my husband worked for a startup. He was employee number 20 at a little tiny company called Broadcom. And wow. we had that startup journey. You know, we, we went from, you know, making hundreds of thousands of dollars up in Silicon Valley to making $40,000 because right. we decided to go with more stock. We could right. afford to, but I lost my job in Silicon Valley. We moved to Orange County. I'm like, there's no tech down here. And I went to Silicon Valley. <laughs> um, but I found my way to Ingram, which was wonderful. But in, in the meantime, I'm like, what am I going to do? But we're living, you know, two of us are living and we could on $40,000 a year. We moved to Foothill Ranch because that's all we could afford. One bedroom <laughs> apartment. I said, as soon as I get my, my job, we're moving to Newport. <laughs> and we did. I'm like, I'm not living here. We're not having kids yet. Although Foothill Ranch is beautiful. Right. We just were you know, young and no kids yet. But he, I never saw him. For the first year, he was commuting up to LA, 100-hour weeks. Oh, they wow. basically, they, it was this typical startup situation where we don't want you to leave the office. Here's some comfy cots. We're going to feed you breakfast, lunch, and dinner, anything you want. We're going to make really, we're going to play music, you know, like just to keep them there to keep yeah. building what they were building. So we right. really, truly did have that startup. It was a small company. We used to take company trips together. Everyone that's first, that first founding team really got to know each other. So right. we understand that journey. And, um, but I didn't really realize this is, oh yeah, I, I have been involved in startups just in different, from a different perspective. Right. So in 2013, my friend, um, brought me to a few local uh, groups here that were looking at startup opportunities. And I, I kind of learned the process. And I was one of those. The first thing I saw, I loved, I got it. I wanted to, in to invest into it. And she was an advisor. And then one of my friends, um, Bart Greenberg, he helped me a lot too. He's a family friend. And he's also one of the top startup attorneys here in Orange County. Right. And they gave me all this advice on the deals that I was looking at. I didn't listen to any of it. I went with my gut. <laughs> I thought, I believe in this person. I believe right. in what they're doing. With that. Not, I didn't have an investment thesis. Right. Well, it didn't take long for me to lose money. And that sucked. And I'm like, wait a minute, what happened here? And they're like, well, you didn't listen. I'm like, okay, right. I get it. You know, what's your investment thesis, Sandra? Why are you writing the check? What is your due diligence process? I go, what? What? Huh? So I backed up a little bit. And I'm like, well, I didn't like losing that money. But I could afford to. That's what I tell, that's what I coach my members. Right. This is play money. This is money you can burn in a trash can because the risk is so high. It's like gambling in Vegas. Right. And you can have the most vetted thing. And I can tell you stories of stuff that, you know, it's quite great. We're doing millions and millions of dollars and bam, out of business in one year. I mean, yep. just, you just stuff, you see, so you, you know, it's great until you exit. It's real, but that can take a long time. Right. So it has to be money that's disposable. You can't be expecting this to be your retirement or making a dividend off of it. That's not what this is. Right, right. So we did, we had disposable income and made my first investments that, that sucked. But from the analysis, I learned two things. Number one, you have to have an investment thesis. And number two, you need to really go and do an autopsy. 
on what didn't work. Yep. Because if you really go through each deal and why it didn't work, you can, you'll definitely, it'll, okay, learn from that. That shouldn't happen or that was too soon. Or you'll find, you know, the holes in the plan. That's and so important, yeah. You'll plan, the plan is to not, to, to, to kind of identify those holes as you're moving forward and investing in other deals. Yep. Is really understanding the traps, the barriers, the, what we didn't see. It, you, and you can try to do that in due diligence, but with the groups I'm aligned with, we all do due diligence in a very similar way, but at the end of the day, you're still taking a risk, but you've done your homework. Yep. That's really exactly. what due diligence is. And, and I love this, uh, this whole arc, uh, your arc of, you know, starting with a corporate background, learning all of these individual pieces. So you became, you know, you understood modeling, which is huge, right? <laughs> uh, very few people in the world actually understand that art. And, and the fact that you had firsthand knowledge, you, you got to work in startups, uh, you got to work with larger corporates to see how those, uh, you know, startups scale into the corporates. So you learned all of these little pieces and now with firsthand experience and you know obviously losing your own money it doesn't matter you know how much money it is you can be a millionaire and you lose ten dollars and it's that that stings it's like, oh, i have to make sure i don't do that again yes. uh, but losing that money I, I think that sort of brings it home and that now you sort of have to start developing all of those you know the due diligence muscle as i like to call it um and you're absolutely right you you know the, there are Due diligence, you know, the, you, there are so there are a bunch of things that you can look for that are sort of hard filters, and you can okay make sure that the company has the best chance for success. But there's a lot of intuition, and that intuition mm -hmm. is only built with experience, yes, <laughs> and the yes. experience is with losses. So it, that, that's that's perfect that you sort of went through that journey, and now you know. So I think we're up to about. 2016, 2017, and now you're, mm -hmm. you, yeah. you sort of have a, you're developing your investment philosophy. So let's continue on that story because I, I think it gets really juicy from here on. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me yeah. about that. So, yeah, so I, I made my, I started investing in 2013. I maybe had three or four deals, you know, in my portfolio at that three or four or five, maybe at that point. Okay. And um, I had some, some lady friends here in Orange County that they were seeing what, what I was doing and they wanted to learn. And so I invited them some, and I was part of Tech Coast Angels as well. I actually, uh, or I actually joined Tech Coast Angels a few months after I started OC, but I had many friends in that, in, in Tech Coast Angels. Our kids went to school together, Bill Waldo, Bart Greenberg, uh, David Friedman. I knew a lot of the people in that group. I already had, you know, I had knowledge. It was a very, very, um, uh, uh, came with, you know, high, uh, great reputation here in Orange County for bringing great deal flow. Yep. And so I went to a few of those meetings. I brought some lady friends sometimes and they just didn't feel comfortable. Number one, it's overwhelming. You know, the things you're hearing, the pitches are exciting to see, but then you're in this group with these, you know, captains of the universe and they know what to ask and they know what to do and they've, they've done it, but we're sitting back going, well, we're learning. So it was a little overwhelming for them and they really weren't understanding the deal flow. So they thought, you know, I said, this is a great group. There's a great group of people. They, met, they have a mentorship program. You're not left alone. They just didn't feel comfortable. So right. that kind of, I thought, maybe I should start a women's group. So in 2016, uh, Q4 2016, I had two soft launch meetings at my yacht club, the Hia Corinthian Yacht Club. And I had about 40 uh, people come to each one of them. And wow. the, the feedback was, yes, we need this group. So I launched OC Angel Investors. We're a women angel investment group. Um, in January 2017, we now have 45 members. We're based at the UCI Cove. Uh, we ha typically have our screenings there, but since COVID, we're doing it on Zoom. And I'll talk to that, you know, how that's working for us. Yeah. 
Um, and so our, our mission at OC Angel Investors is to educate, connect, and inspire women to learn more about angel investing. And that's, that's our approach. It's much more of a, a slower, methodical approach. Um, I mentor every single one of them. I, I walk them through all the due wow. diligence. I explain to them my investment thesis, my history, how I got here. And my investment thesis is the investment thesis for OC. So I talked about that seven-point criteria. Yeah. And that's basically my personal criteria yeah. of each company before I, I take a deeper dive to see if it's a, a good fit for our group. They have to meet that criteria. Yeah. So, I, so I definitely want to get into the seven point criteria, but before let, let's touch on some of these uh, uh, other groups that you're a part of also. So you yes. mentioned tech coast and angel, which is yes. sort of the 600 pound gorilla in the yes. Southern California area. Um, yes. Now I think they, they even have ch chapters in Northern California, but they, they they, they're sort of the big player and they source a lot of deals. Uh, you have your uh, own firm OC, which is great. Um, but you're, connected with a couple of other uh, funds also, right? Titan and things like that. So let's, yes. uh, let's touch on some of those other players because- Sure. Yeah, let, let's start there, yeah. Okay, yeah, so as I di I'm diversified in my regular investments that make me income, um, I wanna be diversified with my angel investments. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm a limited partner in the Cove Fund, which is a 14, $15 million venture fund uh, based at the UCI Cove, but not affiliated with UCI, but yep. great, great leadership, um, the, the pricing model, I'm very particular on, on, on venture funds. And the reason is, especially when they're in the startup space, the reason is you're paying a two and 20. Typically the, the cost structure is you're paying a two and 20 yep. to be in a fund that has no, they can't guarantee you're going to have any exit and yep. it could take years and years and years, but I'm still paying a management team to like check the wind and do the stuff I could do the same thing I'm doing, but I'm paying them two and 20. Now there's a reason, there's a place for that. You know, large family offices, private equity, fund to funds, they don't want to go do all the research. They'll just go with a, a reputable fund and yep. put some money to play there and see if it'll work. So, yeah, there's a, there's a place for it. But I've seen a proliferation in the past two years of new funds being managed by unexperienced, inexperienced fund managers, people that haven't even written a check. So I'm always leery of that. But that's why I love the model with the co-fund. And the, the fund managers there, um, Howard Mirowitz, Paul Voice, and Mike Benvenuti, rock stars, you know, they, they're legends and, and, you know, they've done this before. They, they come from a really great background and as, as many of our LPs in that fund. So that's a really great fund to be in because they are investing in things where I don't have the technology knowledge. I don't have the background, but I trust them. And when I look at the deals, I'm like, yeah, these make sense. Yeah. That's diversification. Yep. And I'm also an LP in the Titan Fund, which is run by uh, JJ Jackson and mm -hmm. Travis Lindsay out of Cal State Fullerton. Yep. And great group of angels there. I have some fellow TCA members in that fund as well. So it's, it's, it's a small group of angels. There's maybe 20 of us right now. We're, we're closing our first fund and we're opening a new fund. And I'll, I'll be in both. And very exciting. It's interesting. So there, the, of the companies we saw in 2019, nine of them received investment from the Titan Fund. So I have a few of my OC angels in the Titan Fund because they like the deal flow we see. They understand the methodology. So that was really, really amazing. And same, same thing this year. Um, I believe two or three of our deals this year have also been funded through the Titan Fund. So that's wow. very exciting. And that's a great way. And again, no management fees there either. Everything is done pro bono. Uh, our fund managers get a few more shares in the fund. That's it. So it's right. clean. Um, they do a fantastic job with due diligence as the co-fund does and as Techos Angels, very right. clean due diligence process. So I like, I, that's, that's why I'm in these two funds. I, I respect the fund managers and it's diversification for my 
dollars. Your own portfolio. That that that's fantastic. And for a lot of uh, investors, angel investors, or some people who are on the fence who really don't know what angel investing is all about, I think this is the lesson that they need to take away. Obviously, they should talk to you and get coaching from you. But uh, yeah. beyond that, um, you know, connecting with a lot of these other funds and investing through them. Yes, in some cases, you might pay 2 and 20. Some cases, you might uh, give up some uh, dilution. So, that, you know, you might get a fewer shares than the management team. But it's totally worth it because you get to see the due diligence process. You get to see yes. the deal flow. And you get to see how these experienced people are making the decisions. Right. Right. And, right. and that's such a useful thing when you're learning, when you're brand new to this field. So I, I think to the uh, new angel investors, this is sort of the sort of their entry yes. into the uh, into this uh, ecosystem. Um, and yes. then and I uh, wish I wish I knew when I started, I knew about these funds because I would have right, saved exactly. so much money. Yeah. I would have saved so much money. But, you know, again, I don't regret it. It's the process that brought the journey that's brought me to here yep. to where I'm, I'm teaching and mentoring others. And, and I also directly invest. I only write one check a year now to a direct investment. So oh, I'm wow. really picky. Yeah, I still directly invest, you know, but it's, it's just one a year because I'm just, I'm sitting on 32 companies in my combined portfolio right now. Right. So I, you know, I, but I, if there's something exciting, I'll take a deeper dive for sure. Fantastic. So let's, uh, let's get into that. Uh, you know, I want to learn more about your philosophy. Um, so let's talk, get into, you know, how you sort of go through the due diligence process and uh, the seven point criteria that you were, you sure. referred to a little bit ago. Um, how do you, now that you have all these companies coming to you, how do you start to sort of filter and how do you uh, uh, get to the companies that you really, really like? Sure. So they come to me all different ways. I get 20 to 30 a week on average um, coming through all my different portals. You know, it, it's either through our website, um, through other angel groups, through known, you know, people in the network, through LinkedIn, they come all over. And it's pretty, I can tell pretty quickly if it's a fit for our group, number one, just what they're doing and how they present themselves. I typically will do a deeper dive with anything that comes from a warm introduction, someone I know. I will take more time and look at it and then I'll get back to every single one of them. And either I point them to our website to let them know, look at our, our seven point criteria. Once you hit that, reconnect with me, you know, good luck to you. Right. Or I'll just let them know this is not something that's of interest to me or my network, but here's some other you know, resources for you to go try. So I try to let them, you know, let them down easy. The ones that, that are of interest to me, they could be, to a little early stage, which means they haven't met our seven-point criteria, which I'll get into in a moment, or um, you know, or they're just not quite a fit for my group, but they might be a fit for the others. You know, those I will you know keep on my ecosystem. I'll take a phone call with the with the founder, but um, and then I like to you know if it's, if it's something intriguing to me and the team is stellar, I'll ask them to keep in touch with me because once they do meet our criteria, I'd like to you know bring them back in and see if they're a good fit to pitch to us. And we've had some great success with companies like that. But let me go into the seven point criteria. Yeah. And this is a no this is in no particular order. Okay. <laughs> um, this is my this is my uh, investment thesis. So um, the business sector, of course, we have to have. Uh, a, a total addressable market that's growing and their segment within that market is growing and the addressable market is growing within that. So that we have to look at the TAM of course, mm -hmm. and then they have to have a differentiator. And that means you're, you've got a high barrier to entry. Um, you can, you can, you know, ward off. There's something very unique about what you're bringing to the market. You can ward off the competition. You're, you're head and shoulders above the others. And differentiator could mean anything from your technology 
technology or IP first to market position. Um, you know, you've got the players in the industry already, you know, part of your team. So you're going to have that leg up. You're going to have that head start over anybody that would want to come in and com compete against you. Differentiator, differentiator can mean a lot of things, but you have to have one. Yep. Um, your business model, you have to have a proven go-to market strategy. You have to be in, re in recurring re revenue and growing recurring revenue. You have to be really understanding your metrics, uh, bringing your CAC, your, cost, your customer acquisition down. Mm -hmm. But the only way you're going to learn how to do that is, number one, figure out your go-to market strategy, um, where those customer, first customers are coming from, how costly is it to acquire those customers, and what's the best way to transition that into you know, lower, lower cost dollars. You know, of course, it comes with volume, and it comes with, let's just maybe focus on one line of business. You know, those, those, those metrics, those numbers, you should know. So you should right. be able to explain those to me when I'm interviewing you to possibly come pitch to and, us. And, and just on that point, I, I, I just want to emphasize knowing your numbers is so important because I get, you know, I, I've had entrepreneurs, I've had founders, you know, they want to call themselves CEOs, presidents, whatever, and, and come to us and talk about their product. And if we, if we just ask them one question, what is your TAM or what is your CAC? And they say, well, I'm not a numbers person. I, you know, so I, I don't know, but we're, we're, we're going to make profit. We're going to make money right in this industry. Cause it's, it's, we're, we're awesome. That's where I like to sort of say, hold on a second. Yeah. Right? You don't have <laughs> yes. to be a numbers person, but you have to have these basic metrics so you can yes. answer you yes. know, some fundamental questions. And then yeah. if we get into due diligence, sure, you can have a CFO or an accountant or someone who can, you know, yes. walk us through a model or something like that. That's yes. not an issue. But knowing your numbers is different from being a numbers person. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. And that's, that's important because or else they'll, they'll fail. I mean, if yeah. they're not really understanding this, they're going to fail. And that comes to my next point. The yeah. founder has to have built, scaled, and sold a company or they'll fail. Uh -huh. Okay. They, they, and, and that, that people say it's impossible. There's all these young founders. I go, yes, it's not, you're not going to see that in every deal, but if you haven't built, scaled or sold a company, someone helping you run the company has to have done that Yep. Absolutely. because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what's going to, and when something happens, you're, cause you're, 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 they're out there, they're fundraising, they're starting this great enterprise. They're super excited. But with, with that comes a little bit of ego and I know what I'm doing. And yeah. then when something comes and when the rugs pulled out from under you, which will happen a million times, you know, it's how you react to that. If you're, yeah. if you're, if you're young, you can still be coached. You can, you know, you're, you're hopefully you're listening to your advisors. You're, you have open lines of communication with your, your founding team. Yep. You have a process in place on how you work as a team. You're building that company culture. When you're young and inexperienced, you don't even know what a company culture is. So that's why the experience is so important, but really company culture comes, comes in hand with hand with company success. And it yep. starts from day one, your mission, your vision statement that you have for your company for the solution you're selling. Well, you have to, that has to come from a place of passion for you. And we see that in founders. So again, if you're not a seasoned founder, someone on your team has to be because things will go wrong. I promise you all at the same time. So if you're not, if you're not, you know, quick on your feet, if you're not coachable, if you're not listening to that and going out to the people that can help you solve that problem, you're going to fail. Yep. And you see this a lot in portfolio companies. We have portfolio companies in our portfolios in the two funds. And, you know, I've seen time and time again, how we're there to help. We may not be sitting on the board, but we're an investor and you need to be reaching out to us and consistently um, communicate to us all the good things. I, in our KPIs, I like to see a one pager once a month would be great. Once a quarter is, you know, okay, right. but once a month would be great. And um, I want to see three things you've accomplished, three things you're working on and three things you need help from us on. 
-hmm. And that could be introductions. It's not always extra money. It's introductions to key people, uh, key hires, things like that. If you're communicating with us all along, we're going to have trust and faith in you to drive this company to where it needs to go. And we will reinvest because we see this, this CEO, this team is doing a superb job. We don't expect you to know all the answers, but we expect you to be communicating to us when you're seeing something coming down the hill, like, Hmm, that could be a problem. Let me talk to everybody. Let me just send out a quick blurb to everyone. And we're going to trust me. We're going to be making a phone call back to you. We're going to get you on the phone. What's going on. Let's dissect it. We have the knowledge. Right. So communication with your investors is so important. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm not going to talk. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to take it even a step further. And, you know, uh, a lot of CEOs don't like to talk about failures or mm-hmm. maybe failures is too strong of a word. Pivots maybe is a better word Pivot. where, yeah. yeah, you had to sort of change your strategy. You, you, your CTO didn't work out. Okay. Hire a new CTO. So, you know, something didn't go right and you had right. to change your course. That to me, I, I look for that in any, any uh, you know, even if it's an 18 year old talking about his new startup, if he can tell me where he pivoted once, you know, when he was 15 or when, you know, when he earlier in the year, when something happened, uh, an event that, you know, pandemic that changed the market completely. If you can tell me those pivots, those changes that you made, that tells me you're coachable, right? You're, you're ready to yes. change your mind. And that's such an important skill. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Keep going. Uh, sorry yeah. to, uh, stop you there, no, but. so so that was like the team, right? The team yep. is very important. Exactly. There's many, many components to go into the team, but the founder has to build scale and sold. Yeah. Um, and we're going to, we're going to find that out due diligence. You know, we're yeah. going to, if, if we're, if we go that far, um, you know, we're, we're going to know all that information. Um, uh, you have to, the founders have to be investors um, in the company. I yep. mean, that sounds like counterintuitive, but I've seen, we've seen a lot of deals. I mean, we will look at them. When the founders aren't investors, they have no skin in the game. They don't really care. Right. So, and I don't even understand how, how that happens, but it does. It happens sometimes. So you have to have skin in the game. Right. Um, and then uh, we typically look at, we only look at seed and bridge to A rounds, valuations between about three to 10 million on average. Um, and that, those numbers, those numbers hold up because they're in, going towards a million dollars to a several million dollars in sales already when we see them. Right. So that's kind of the, 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 that's where we like to invest at that stage, those stages. Um, we have to have lead investors in the deal from a known angel group or angel or VC that I know, because it just makes you know life so much easier. I have access to the deal rooms. I can make one or two phone calls. You know, how, how are they doing since you've invested? You know, what, what, what's gone good? What's gone bad? Have they, you know, how are they, are they pivoting? Are they, you know, to profitability? All those questions can be answered. You know, the customers, you know, staying, what's retention look like? Um, done very, very easily. So that's, that's important. That's important for us. Uh, burn rate, they have to have one year of working capital in the bank, mm. period. Yep. To, to, to support the current burn, or they'll go under, yeah. period. That's like not even negotiable because, you know, if you're, the CEOs have, you know, hard enough job to scale the company, to manage the company, to be the visionary and to re, and realize when they need to be replaced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so hopefully they're talking to their, their angels, you know, and they can step aside and we can fit someone in. Hopefully this is the problem we ha- want to have when they're scaling. Right. We're going to bring the next person in that has the experience to get to the next level. Um, you know, that's important, but you know, you're running the company, but if you're also fundraising and you're a month or two away from closing the doors from complete disaster, you know, that's just not good because we know how fundraising goes. We're the ones writing the check. We don't have to write the check. (laughs) It's fine. We can, we can do the due diligence and just say, you know, we're going to wait. And that's the thing. There's no guarantee there. So if you've got, 
you know, one month going by, two months going by, three months, we're out of money. You're, out, you're done. Yeah. So you have to have a year in the bank. And, and that's paid in spades with the portfolio companies that we have in the two funds I'm in. So that's been, that's been really good. Um, let's see. And then an exit strategy within, you know, two to five years, but I, I'm working on a seven year one right now, but it's a success story. It's going to be great. <laughs> but you know, that's it. That's the name of the game. It's like, you know, right. two to five years, if you're lucky longer, you know, if you just hang in there, like look at Slack, you know, Slack went IPO and now they're being, uh, no, they didn't IPO, did they? Or I don't know if they did. And now they're being purchased by, um, by Salesforce. Salesforce. I mean, there's so many, yeah, there's so many, of those those are more like unicorn type of stories but there's so many great deals you know that transacted under a billion dollars you know yep. it's, it's it's fine there's equal opportunity for innovation to invest in so right. hey, um, and quite frankly you know as an angel you, you, there, there's a very good chance that the company doesn't meet the five-year deadline you know it, it takes seven years it takes 10 years yeah. maybe in certain instances but it does. just having that vision is very important at this stage, right? Yes. Uh, and yes. I think that's, that's what you're referring to, that uh, the investor is able to look out five years and go, okay, there's a good chance I get you know, bought out or I get, right, I, right. I ha- I'm ready for an IPO by this stage. Uh, that sort of mentality is important for an investor. Right. And that goes in the due diligence. The whole, the whole reason we're investing, I mean, we love your idea and you're probably great people. We want to make money. Yeah, day we want to make money. It's still we want to make money. We don't want to lose money, right? And we don't want to break break an even. Is okay. I, I would have done better in private equity, but we want to make money, and we want to be a part of the journey. We want to help where we can, yep. and bring innovation, you know, to the market. Create jobs, create wealth for others that they can push it forward. There's many reasons why we invest, but it's the passion about the solution, the team that's bringing it, to, you know, to the market, and the customers being happy with it, right? But you want to make money. So having the exit in mind, you know, when I, and I have some rock star stories, but I'll, and I'll share one or two with you, but you know, that's, that's kind of what you look at, look at, you know, yeah. great. Everything's exciting here. You know, what, whose radar should you be on? You know, right. can I make that connection to make sure that exactly. you exist and maybe their venture arm will put a little money in too. Exactly. That's really important to have yeah. that kind of, you know, full um, connection when you're looking at an angel investor or when you're looking at a company, can, how can I help them? Do I have strategic alliance? with yeah. you know whatever they need absolutely that is such a fantastic setup for <laughs> your uh rock star stories because i really want to yeah. <laughs> learn more about those um so let, let, let's uh i i think that the seven point criteria is so inclusive i think you covered so many topics so that's fantastic so tell us about who got through and what those successes <laughs> look like uh you know a few years down the line yeah, yeah. So one I want to talk about right now is, is our COVID pivot. Okay. And this is, this, this, is, this, is, this couldn't be more perfect. So it's a company that we invest in through the Titan Fund in 2019. Um, call, it, at the time, it was called Left Travel, L-E-F-T Travel. And it was a group travel SaaS tool. And it was, it was doing really, really great. They were, I think, did over a million dollars in sales in 2019. Wow. Um, profit, you know, moving towards profitability really quickly. Great team. And, you know, lean and mean in a, in a great spot. And one of the things that they found with their group travel teams was that they wanted to have some kind of uh, pa- uh, Slack integration. A lot of them use Slack to manage their mm-hmm. teams. And so they did the Slack integration. That was great. That was one of the upgrades they did with the funding, which was wonderful. So everything's rolling around great, and then COVID hits. So, of course, group travel's out the window. Right. And, you know, when we, we, and we got monthly updates from this founder, Cheyenne Wright. 
And she, um, in March, it was a weird time, you know, and in April, it was, it might've been March though, too. She gave us the good stuff, the stuff she's working on and the stuff she needs help. She didn't need money. She had about almost two years in the, in the of runway in the bank, oh, wow. which was good, which okay. is really good. Yeah. Um, but she was looking for a pivot, right? So she just questioned us. And so the one thing she was asking from us was introduction to, to office managers that manage remote, they have to manage remotely now their teams and small to medium sized businesses. Like, so we, we made introductions and she sent them out questionnaires. She did her research on, you know, what's missing here. What's missing here when you're managing your teams in something like Slack or, or Microsoft teams and things like that. And she took that in that information. She built out um, the new platform, just, you know, just real basic. And she, I think she launched it live with a few of her uh, beta uh, free customers in August and they loved it. It was something that was missing from Slack and missing from Microsoft Teams, which was a task manager that you can access mm -hmm. through texts, email on your on your PC, wherever. And that was that can easily stream port into Slack because, as you can imagine, working remotely is new for everybody. A lot of these teams. Yeah. And how do you know that besides meeting your goals every week and having your weekly meetings, right. what's also on their plate? Like we get tasks all the time, every day. Like, oh, I got to call this person back. And it could be personal tax, ta tasks and it could be professional tasks. But yeah. those are time consuming. Oh, I'm going to text my, you know, my supervisor right now. Oh, hey, I need that report or I need that report back. And, you know, it can come from text. It can come from a voicemail rarely yeah. or an email. And so to have a place to be able to store all those tasks, put them in there, and then you get gentle reminders every day. But it integrates and the reporting integrates into Slack and Microsoft Teams, Microsoft Teams and Google Office is brilliant because from what I understand, none of those platforms have tasks. They have a task manager to, to really manage and report. So she's in revenue now, and uh, they're going to be doing, they're doing a, they're closing their small seed raise round right now. Uh, we're investing more out of Titan. I'm looking to possibly make a direct investment next year. I want to see how this performs, but it's very exciting. That's a wonderful example of a young, you know, young, young entrepreneur that has business background though. She listens, she does her research, she's mindful of our dollars, she's a great steward of the investment dollars, and she's, you know, she's really thinking beyond the box, seeing what we have right now, why we create the wheel, and she's pivoted so beautifully. So that's exciting, but again, it's the people, it's the, yeah. it's the solution they're bringing to market. Yep. You know, she, had a, she, she was doing it great with Left Travel, but she's doing it awesome now with Office Otter. Yeah. So that, that's been exciting to watch that pivot and see, you know, how she's coming, you know, around on the other side. I know not everyone has that opportunity, but having that coachability, that open-mindedness, those goals in place, team, culture, you know, even though they're a small team there, they still have this company culture where they're all in it together. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's voice is important. Everyone's input and uh, what you work on is so important and valued. That, this is such a perfect example because travel industry was destroyed earlier in the year, right? March, April. Uh, yes. and, and a lot of those CEOs uh, sat back on the sideline and said, hey, this is only a two-month event. This is only a three-month event and things will come back. Things will come back. And then they're just going through their burn uh, and, and waiting for the market to return to normal. And here we are, you know, eight months later, nine months later, yes. and things are not really changing all that much. Travel is still depressed. So this is such a perfect example of someone who didn't just sit back and waited, 
for the market to come back, they sort of pivoted and said, hey, if people are going here, let me go there also and let me see if I can uh, take advantage of this. So I love that example. Um, but my guess is all of your portfolio companies are not like that. So uh, no. <laughs> I'm, trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to be yeah. gentle. Yeah, so we're fortunate. We're fortunate um, that in all of our, our, our portfolio companies within Titan and, and Cove, we only, in Cove Fund, we only have one that's not going to make it so far. Mm. And again, they were in, they're in the gaming space. And, and I'm equating the gaming space to the cannabis space. That, because that was one of the sectors we were, gonna, we were looking at this year. I picked a sector or two for us to study, mm-hmm. to see it's, it's an upcoming sector, it's a hot sector to invest in. And I just can't map my, my mind around esports and e-gaming. I know it's, it's going to be very lucrative, but it's kind of like cannabis because you're dealing with things that I don't understand and our, the VC in, in startup world doesn't really understand. They don't speak our language. So it remains to be seen where, where the opportunities will be there, but we're still looking. Yep. Um, but, uh, but so that's a company within the Cove portfolio that just isn't looking good but everyone else is looking pretty good they have money in the bank they're in growing mrr the funding is coming in they're, they're they're getting funded in subsequent rounds or they don't need the funding so that's been good and then i think we only had one company one or two in the titan fund that are on the ropes um one's a consumer facing company but they were already having problems before covid yeah. and you know that's just the name of the game anyway in any fund right. you're, you're not they're not all going to make it right. and um so so you know we've been pretty fortunate we're not seeing a big bloodbath of oops this that's isn't fantastic. working for us or we're caught you know caught with not enough money and the sales have you know sales have definitely slowed in, with some of them for sure especially mm-hmm. our our med tech and diagnostic um, uh, companies in our in our portfolios, but for the most part, they're hanging in there, which is really great. And 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 lots of them are doing really well. Ready Set Food, which is in the Titan Fund, mm-hmm. uh, they actually received funding from Mark Cuban on on Shark Tank before they 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 pitched to us. I mean, after they pitched to us, they pitched to us in January 2019 or June 2019, and then they were on Shark Tank this past January, and they received funding. Awesome. And then um, uh, then Mark Cuban introduced them to uh, Danone Ventures, Danone Yogurt. Yep. Um, and so I've, I've subsequently have uh, connected with Denon Manifesto Ventures because there's other companies, here's again, full circle, other companies in our portfolio, they're in the food and beverage space that might be of interest to them because that's who they acquire. Yep. So that was like really fortuitous to have Ready, Set, Food. And I met them at the Roth, um, Roth Capital event that they have every year with Nigel. I met him like a year or so ago. Ready, Set, Food was there. So it's weird how you meet these companies, but great team, unique Innovation is basically and introducing the allergen to the infant before they can, so they don't ever get the allergy, like right. in their formula when they're like a few weeks wow. old, like okay. a month and a half old. So you know it's it's saving lives, it's saving money. Great kicks, you know, great rock star team of doctors and people from the industry that understand uniquely how painful uh, food allergies can be for right. you know children and adults. So it's just you know it's another another great story. So they're doing really really well. Um, I had an exit. I had an exit this year. It's a company called Empire. And they did kind of like banner ad, backend advertising for payment processing and for small business. And they were acquired by Avenjo, which is a a large company out of Minnesota that's in the payment processing space. And they rebranded the company. Now it's called Fig. So it it kind of does backend advertising um, at that payment processing um, you know, when you, when you process the payment, it gives the vendor, you know, number one, all this, uh, all the specifics on your payment, but then it offers all these other uh, robust features where you can continue to have that 
um, communication, that marketing with that client, nice. you know, as, okay. so it's that kind of the back end technology. So that was really exciting. Um, that was good this year. And, and, you know, and there's, you know, so many others companies that we invested in this, this year that still have some time to go, but they're right place, right time. Uh, Udify. So another sector we looked to to study this year was digital healthcare, Uh, digital healthcare and anything that's, you know, you can do remotely remote healthcare trends. Mm -hmm. And um, in, let's see, in June, Udify pitched to us, they've received funding, mental health space. So mental health space, we met. Yeah, we yes, yes. So you know, you're very familiar with Ravi and the team over there. And they're doing so great bringing he's bringing on some great um, team members. So we were happy to invest in that opportunity. So just, just, and the timing couldn't have been better. I mean, he's, this company has been around for a while. They're yep. succeeding. They're going to succeed even more because it's now adapted yep. because there's waves of technology, right? Remember we had a cell phone. Oh, and it's not as big as a brick and oh yep. my gosh, the flip phone, like, but not everyone had them. It takes time to adapt that technology and the way of living with like that. That's telemedicine. COVID exactly. put telemedicine on the, on the map now. Now yep. it's hard, it's hard to go back yep. and because it's more efficient, you know, it really mm-hmm. is more efficient. To do it this way, of course, there's going to be times where you're going to need to see your doctor one-on-one, yep. but isn't it nice to know that you have, you can access this help you need privately and conveniently? Exactly. And that's really what we're going to see bringing to the mainstream, that it's not taboo. You're going to get the same level of experience as you would seeing them in person, and you can still get your prescriptions. You know, that this is a big game changer in, in medicine and, and diagnosing things. So Udify is riding that wave, Rockstar team. You know, money in the bank, they're just they're just doing it. So yep. that was an exciting opportunity exciting thing to invest in. Fantastic, fantastic. I feel like I can talk to you for days about <laughs> all of the portfolio companies and all the companies you're looking at. This is such yeah. a fantastic conversation. But I've already I think we're already about forty minutes into the conversation. Okay. So I'm gonna <laughs> uh, ask you the last question that I always ask uh, 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 investors. Uh, and that is sort of the action step qu- uh, question from the founders that are probably watching this interview and the action step that they really want is what is one thing that they have to do right now to get an investment from you? What is sort of the most important things? And we went through the seven, uh, seven criteria. Um, so maybe it's one of those, but the idea is that, you know, this is one thing without which you're not going to write a check. They're never going to get an investment. Uh, so tell me what that thing is for you. <laughs> it's a team. Team. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to understand the solution, but we're investing in the people. Yeah. So, you know, if you come through the due diligence process, the interview process, um, with us having a lot of trust and a lot of faith uh, with the team to take it to the next level, that this is the right team for this right solution right now, you know, that's, you know, that's half the battle right there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So make sure you have the right partners. It may not be co-founders. It may be employees. It may be advisors. It may be people who are guiding you, but make sure you have that support system. uh, That's really important. I mean, there's many other factors, but at the end of the day, you're investing in people. That's, you know, I've seen some great companies with great solutions and the people did not thrill me. They had no passion. I'm like, nope, Mm. I'm not investing in this. (laughs) They had no energy. They had no passion. And I know I get it. Not everyone's a born pitch person, but find someone on your team that is, it does a better job than you. Yep. Because you can just stand on the side and, I, and I've seen this all the time where I'm like, why is that person pitching? I don't understand where their sales guys like, 
goes in there and translate what they just said. Right. I'm like, not that we couldn't understand them, but just the way they were saying it, we're like, what does that mean? That's confusing. Right. And so find out quickly if you're a good person at pitching. If you're not, find someone on your team that's better than you and have them do it. But be there. You know, I'm the CEO. I'm. We're gonna have you know Tracy take it off, take it over, and then you can you can field the questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot I, I, can get lost in translation. Yeah. I, I think that's so important that in enthusiasm, that drive. One of the main reasons why we started startup steroid was to see that drive in people. Right. In a lot of yeah. pitch events, you don't see the drive because it's a prepared 10 minute speech that they're essentially reading off or have memorized and are uh, delivering to you. Um, it, it, this is investing is so about so much more than that. Right. It's when you make that eye contact and you see the passion, it, it comes through. Um, so you have to be able to deliver that. And if you can't, then find someone who can uh, exactly. have them pitch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's fine too, because we, we, you're, we're, that's our first blush of what's happening here. Right. And if that comes off well, and we know what you can't answer every question in the pitch deck, but the Q and A goes well, and we feel fairly confident you guys know what you're doing. We'll open a due diligence conversation. <laughs> absolutely. It's absolutely. Important. And in due diligence, we'll get into all the nitty gritty. So you don't have yeah. to try to explain us your platform or the back end yeah. technology that you're using. You don't have to get into all of that. Right, right now, just show us who you are and show us your passion. And then yes. we can start the conversation. That's tr so true. Absolutely. So true. <laughs> Zandra, thank you so much. This was a fantastic conversation. I, I, I love talking to you. Uh, thank you for coming on today. And uh, I look forward to, do you, do you want to take a picture? Yeah, I'm taking a picture of you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and my new phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I, I appreciate you. Uh, and uh, so let's keep, stay connected. Uh, you know, I, I attended oh, yes. one of your events, uh, OC yes. events. And I hope to attend a lot more in the future. Yes. And hopefully you can come to Thai and attend some of our events over here. And would uh, love to. We'll, we'll keep it going. Yes. Thank you. I had a great time. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.